Amen. Well, Isaiah chapter 25 this evening, Isaiah 25. The title of the sermon tonight is Death is Swallowed Up. Death is Swallowed Up. There's just 12 verses in this chapter, so let's hear the Word of God as it is indeed the very Word of God. O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you, I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the foreigner's palace is no more, uh, foreigner's palace is a city no more, it will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from the, all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us, this is the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab shall be trampled down in his place, as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride, together with the skill of his hands and the high fortifications of his walls, he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, to the dust. And also 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can either turn there or listen. It really fits in with this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must be put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality 
when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And then lastly, five verses from Revelation 21. Revelation 21. These verses have often been sung at nonconformist funerals. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who, has seated on, he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Well, back to Isaiah chapter 25, and uh, the title of the sermon, let me just find Isaiah 25, the title of the sermon is Death is Swallowed Up. What a great theme, but it's actually taken from a text here, and it's taken for us from verse 8. He, that's God, will swallow up death forever. God will swallow up death forever. And so Isaiah just continues to surprise us. Well, how does it surprise us? In what way? Well, uh, from chapter after chapter, we begin to find that there are just references used in the New Testament writings everywhere. And here's another one. Death is swallowed up, it says. And then it goes on and says, the Lord God will wipe away all tears from their faces or wipe tears from all faces what a wonderful day that will be in heaven and sometimes we can be doing our daily readings and we can just read so fast that we forget the wonderful truth it was jesus and his death upon the cross which broke the arrow of sin which broke the power of death and the consequence of death in fact in revelation we actually read that death is a person and he's actually cast in to everlasting fire and so in heaven we can look forward to to much more to come we desire to see the church as full but there's one church that is full and it's full for all eternity and it's the church in heaven which is our final destination point this world is is not it it's a journey it's a stage on the journey and what a wonderful truth that god will swallow up death and the notice the phrase forever 
and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. So the title alone is something for us to praise God. There was someone called John Owen. You've heard of John Owen. He, he wrote this book. It, it took me, when I first got hold of that book, it, it took me quite a while, maybe a couple of years, to get my head around the title. The title of that book is The Death of Death in the Death of Jesus Christ. And uh, interestingly, the founding minister in this church was called Stanley Gower, and he wrote one of the uh, commendations for that book. And through the death of Jesus was the death of death. Death was broken through Jesus Christ. When you're a young person, you think, well, that's, that's nice, that's much further down the path, my own death. That might be true, might not be true, but the reality is we have this wonderful gospel truth here which is given to us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25. But we're not going to begin with death. We're going to begin with our first heading, which is a song of praise, which is what we get in Isaiah 25, a song of praise. Uh, the second heading is death swallowed up. And then the third heading is waiting for the Lord. So let's take a look at the first heading, which is a song of praise. And that's where Isaiah 25 begins. It's a song of praise, and it begins in this portion here. Uh, o Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. So let's just stop there first of all on that first verse alone. Let's just think for a moment about singing, how important singing is for the people of God. The Bible includes one book alone that's filled with how many songs? 150 songs. Well, they're actually praises and prayers for deliverance. They're prayers as well. But many of them are songs. The, uh, the people of God are a singing people, always have been a singing people, not only just in church, but uh, one of them uh, section in the Psalms is a pilgrim Psalms that when they would go up to Jerusalem, they would sing praises to God together. And I want to encourage us with the book of Psalms that the book of Psalms is, is a resting place for the weary. Are you feeling weary tonight? Well, the book of Psalms could be for you. And singing, singing biblical songs, uh, what they do, they, they reorient our spiritual vision. And singing praises to God puts a biblical compass in our hands. And the true north for the church is pointing us to the triune God through Jesus Christ. I mean, we just sung tonight, didn't we? Psalm 48. Was it Psalm 48? And, and how does it begin? Great is the Lord and his praise all else excels. And, and so I want to preach, really, if I can call it that, really from Isaiah 25, a, a doctrine of singing, that we don't just sing when we come to church, but we learn to sing uh, as we're driving down the road, that we learn to sing uh, as families. Uh, singing together builds unity, it builds faith. And here uh, Isaiah says, O oh Lord, you are my God. What a wonderful phrase. You are my God, not somebody else's God. But he says in this song, O oh Lord, you are my God. 
If you and I can say that tonight, of the God of the Bible, oh Lord, you are my God. You and I are most blessed above all people. And so it says, oh Lord, you are my God. And what does he do? He doesn't stay there and think about himself. He says, I will exalt you. I will praise your name. And praise is very important for the people of God. Praising God gives us this vision uh, away from ourselves. We're, we're looking unto Jesus, but here we're seeing uh, praising God and exalting his name. Why? It says here that in verse 1, why? Because you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. You have done wonderful things. I'm sure you'd agree. We have a, a Bible here full of wonderful things that the Lord has done. We see the miracles of Jesus in the pages of the Gospels, the blind eyes opened and deaf ears being unstopped and men leaping for joy because Jesus heals them. And then we hear these most important words from the lips of our Savior. One, he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And it's a faith in Christ which is most important. So we can praise God for the wonderful things that he has done. But if you look with me in verse 1, it says, Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. That's an interesting phrase. Faithful and sure. Everything God does is faithful and it's also sure. Faithful and sure. And these two Hebrew words for faithful and sure, interestingly, are both come from the same root from which we get the word amen. Uh, amen corner's not here tonight, but, um, um, but from the root amen. So we, we say amen after the benediction. We say amen when we pray. And, and it comes from really an understanding of these two words that when we're saying amen, we're giving an acknowledgement that the Lord is faithful and sure. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And so we, we go on and it says, verse 2, for you've made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the foreigner's palace is a city no more, it will never be rebuilt, therefore strong peoples will glorify you. And this kind of song, it just fills us with joy and it reminds us as we go to the banks of uh, the Red Sea. And remember what happened there when they, were, when they were delivered from the Egyptians. The people of God, they, they began to sing. They began to give praise to God. And there's something wonderful about giving praise to the living God. We get one of the Psalms of David in Psalm 34, which maybe you know. It says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. So one, we can sing praises to God, and, and also we can begin to give uh, praise to God himself. Get the children in bed and then just begin to take time. Lord, I want to praise you and begin to magnify the Lord. It's kind of therapeutic for our soul. It's how the Creator has designed us to be uh, praising Him, to be a praising people. In Psalm 25, are you familiar with 
Psalm 25. That's known also uh, as an A to Z of, of life's troubles because it's a, what's known as an acrostic psalm. And if you want a good psalm to read this week, I give you Psalm 25 to take a look at that psalm. And I'd be very surprised if you read Psalm 25 and not come out of Psalm 25 with some promise that would encourage you. Well, let's go back to this song of praise in Isaiah 25 and verses 4 to 5. It says, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. So we've got three things there that God is likened them to. He's a stronghold, that's said twice. He's a shelter, and also he is a shade. What is a stronghold? It guards us from, from uh, our enemies. What is a shelter? Well, in this case, it's a shelter from the storm. For those who like walking, um, if you go up on the hills, maybe the Yorkshire Dales or somewhere like that, you have these uh, these kind of like boffies. They're they're in really isolated places that if you're out walking and a storm really comes rushing through, uh, there's a fire in there kept going all year long, and you can go in and you can warm yourself, and it will be a shelter from the storm. But how much more our Lord is a shelter from the storm, and also a shade from the heat. He's a stronghold, a shelter and a shade. And in the Near East, you know, we don't really think about this as much in our own lives, about a shade, but the heat can really bear down on you in the Near East. And so people would know what it would be like to need shade from the heat. And God himself, it says here, is a shade from the heat. And so the psalmist here, well, the psalmist and the psalmist, but Isaiah is, is singing praise to God. That's our first heading. May we be revived in our singing praises to God. May we be a singing people, a, a praising people, a, a thanking people. But our second heading, which is the title of the sermon, is this. Death is swallowed up. Death is swallowed up. And this verse here, as we see in verse 8, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away, <clears throat> wipe away all tears from all faces. But it begins in verse 6. And it's a vision for us of heaven. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And this is the Lord's day, and we praise God for it. And let's just spend a few minutes just thinking about heaven. Thinking about heaven. 
That's our, our final resting place. We enjoyed the Lord's Supper this morning, and when we have the Lord's Supper, uh, we are required to look backwards, to look backwards to Golgotha, uh, when Jesus said, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, death also was finished. In the death of Jesus was the death of death. And so we look backwards in the Lord's Supper to the victory of Christ over death and his glorious resurrection. But we also look inwards as well as we contemplate, not only examine ourselves, we confess sin, we forgive others, but we're also asking ourselves, are we still resting on the merits of Christ for our salvation? Not just simply on ourselves. But there's another aspect of the Lord's Supper that we also look forwards. And that's what we're talking about tonight, looking forwards to heaven. Some of you have family members who've already gone ahead of you. They were Christians and they've gone to heaven, which we praise God for, but our hope in of going to heaven has got to be far more than being reunited with our relatives. More than anything else, it would be to gaze upon the beauty of Christ. Gaze upon the beauty of Christ. And as we see here, this promise of uh, death being swallowed up and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? Tears are an important part of our emotional makeup. It's given by God. What's very important that when a close family member, or especially, it could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be who knows, when they die, that you sometimes when you're mourning, if you've ever experienced that, when you're mourning, you kind of run out of words, and the only words that you have left are tears. Have you experienced that? And it's wonderful that it says that God gathers, collects our tears in a bottle. And so there are tears in this world. There are tears of joy and laughter, but there are also tears of sorrow as well. But in heaven, the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. There's a wonderful personal side to our God. So we can be encouraged that whatever tribulation, difficulties, hardships we go through in this world, we won't have those hardships and difficulties in the world to come. Death is swallowed up, and the, the effect of death, which came in through the fall of Adam. And so also when we feast at the Lord's table, we're looking forwards to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Are you looking forward to that? Uh, most people, especially ladies, love a good wedding. Do you like a good wedding? And uh, some of you have got different views than maybe others, but, you know, there will be a wonderful wedding to which we're all invited who have got their faith in Christ. And in Revelation chapter 19, it says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a wonderful, what a wonderful truth. Well, that would be a great thing to have in your tombstone, wouldn't it? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It wouldn't be for you. You would, you would never see it under your tombstone. Normally, when you die, you have to wait 6 to 12 months before they can put a tombstone there, but it could evangelize others. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There'll be no more death there. There'll be no death. It will be a time of celebration, of joy, of exulting, as this song of praise says. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. Are you looking forward to meeting Jesus in, in heaven? Uh, when we look to him, we won't have to try to praise God. You know, like we do in this world, you know, we can feel a bit groggy sometimes. Is that just me that has that? You know, you can feel a bit weary, a bit tired, but we'll gaze at Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and just it will just come out. Praise God. Hosanna. We won't be British. Um, we will be liberated to give praise to God as we look to Christ. So we can rejoice tonight at this covenant promise that death is swallowed up, but also that he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. And our third and last heading, and our I'm pleased that we've got this here tonight, is thirdly, waiting for the Lord. And we're going to find this theme of waiting begin to grow in the book of Isaiah. Um, waiting for the Lord. If you look with me in 25 and verse 9, it says, It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God, for we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And so here we get this theme of waiting, waiting upon the Lord. And, and as a result, we'll be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Whenever we talk about heaven, heaven, waiting has to be connected together. Because it's a future promise for us. Whenever we talk about the second return of Jesus Christ, waiting is connected to it. Um, and so we, we have to learn through our pilgrimage to understand the doctrine of waiting upon the Lord. Behold, this is our God. And notice there in verse 9, whenever you get the word behold... That's meant to get our attention. Stop for a moment. What's, it, what's God going to say? Especially in the book of Isaiah. Uh, at one stage we see in Isaiah, Behold your God. Is there anything more that's needed today than for us to behold your God? Someone said to me today, These are difficult times. And I think that may be true. But here it says, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. So 
What's waiting for God? Well, it's active, but it's also passive as well. Uh, I can't really properly explain that, but there's an active side to waiting and and also a passive side to waiting. Uh, We don't wait and not do anything, but at the same time, in some ways, we do nothing. But waiting means we look to the Lord, and He is the source of our encouragement, our expectation, our hope to be nourished. We think about Abraham and all the years he had to wait. He was called to leave the year of the Chaldees. Remember that? And yet it was 25 years before the promised son Isaac came along. 25 years. Also, when we think in the Bible um, about other people, remember not only Abraham that he had to wait, but so did Isaac. What about Joseph? At the time he was in prison, waiting for the promises. Moses, 40 years in the backside of the wilderness, wondering what's going to happen. Will God deliver his people? What about David? In fact, indeed, Isaiah himself, uh, we're reading from the book of Isaiah, is that his ministry spanned all those decades in four different kings, and, and at times some of the kings were not that great, and he's preaching the word of God, and at the same time having to walk by faith as well and wait for the Lord, and Isaiah never knew this. But it was 700 years after the book of Isaiah before Christ came. 700 years. Imagine that. Imagine if you got a promise from God tonight. Well, we do have a book of promises, but and then found out that, how would you feel if you, you found out that Jesus is not going to come back for 700 years? We don't know the day or the hour when he will come back, but we have to wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. And this is an important doctrine for us. We have waited for him that he may save us. And so we've got to recognize that waiting is a biblical doctrine, something for us to grow in our understanding about. One last verse before we close, and it'll be a famous verse for many of us. It's again from Isaiah. We'll come across it later on, Lord willing. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. Some of you may be able to quote it. What does it say? It says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And in fact, if you want to study sometime, look at the doctrine of waiting. Get a concordance and look up at wait or waiting for the Lord. It's loaded with promises for those who wait for the Lord. But one last thing, how do we learn to wait? It's by waiting. It's by waiting. And waiting is never easy. But it's a rich promise. Because Isaiah 64, verse 4, says, For from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, 
No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him, who acts for those who wait for him, Isaiah 64, 4. But the title of the sermon as we close tonight was Death is Swallowed Up and Swallowed Up Forever. And as we look backwards tonight, as we close, we look at the Garden of Eden and the, the threat of punishment that God gave if Adam disobeyed and ate of the fruit. Remember what uh, the Lord said to Adam, of the day that you eat, you shall surely die. And when he disobeyed God, the first Adam, death entered into this world. But then we look backwards and think beyond uh, the Garden of Eden, but we look to the garden tomb where Jesus, uh, where Jesus was buried after he'd been raised from the dead. Uh, sorry, buried after he died and then was raised from the dead. The stone was rolled away. Death is swallowed up as Jesus came out of the grave. We're reminded as a big banner, death is swallowed up forever. But then let's look forward to another garden. Not the Garden of Eden, not the Garden Tomb, but a garden of fair flowers in the new Jerusalem, where there'll be no more death. There may not be many of us tonight. That doesn't really matter. What a glorious gospel we have. What wonderful truths we have as Christians through Jesus Christ. And may he receive all the praise, all the honor, all the glory of the people of God.